Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Excess Energy Drinks and Excess Sports Nutrition, exclusively from Amway. Excess offers a collection of active and adventure products to help you energize, hydrate, strengthen, and recover. Follow us on Instagram at XSNation. It's inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports, the college football podcast that gives fans the inside scoop on who's moving up, who's moving down, and what's happening with all the big news of the week. Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg will take you through this week's poll, interview coaches, and break down the sport like nobody else, starting now. And welcome back to another edition of the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast presented by USA Today Sports. I'm Dan Wolken, as always, with Paul Meyerberg. Later on in the show, Navy coach Ken Niamatololo will join us. They have had quite an odd season at Navy, but a good conversation with Ken gets into uh, some interesting stuff about the commander-in-chief's rivalry that uh, I think y'all will enjoy listening to. But for now, Paul, how was your weekend? What did you do? Um... I watched college football yesterday for 12 hours or so. Actually, I think I passed 12, closer to 13. Because USC kept me up late. I have an admission. I did not make it to the third overtime of Michigan Rutgers. (laughs) Um, I wasn't even going to – I mean, we'll talk about it. Um, If you stayed with it, it was purely for schadenfreude because there's no reason that you'd watch this game for the – for anything except to watch Michigan lose if you're an American. So um, that's a shame. Michigan did win eventually, Dan, but I did call this last week. I, I, I wanted us to play the clip of me picking Rutgers to win if Rutgers had won, but it was so close. That I do feel like I want to bring up that uh, I thought Rutgers would win this game. I truly did. You had some vindication there. Yeah, I feel good about it. Well, that was certainly a game that was generating a lot of conversation through the night, as did several others. But let's go right to the Amway Coaches Poll. Number one, Alabama. Easy win over Kentucky. It was a absolute runaway, 63-3. to And I will say that for Alabama right now, especially when you look at Ohio State struggling – to, on some level with, uh, with Indiana, I, I think Alabama's as strong of a number one as they've been at any point this season. Yeah. There's no competition for number one outside of Alabama. I don't, I don't know. I mean, two people voted Notre Dame, number one, one team, one person did Ohio state. I guess the thought for Ohio state is, Hey, they're the best team, but Notre Dame has not achieved nearly enough outside of that one Clemson win to, to have them be first ahead of Alabama. Alabama has just looked so much better than Notre Dame on a weekly basis. Yeah, Kentucky early in that game, the first quarter had some chances to maybe put some points on the board and get Alabama out of sync a little bit, but they couldn't convert, and it was a runaway. Just a very impressive performance. Uh, Alabama rolls on. They'll play Auburn next week, and you know Auburn's playing a little bit better. Auburn seems to have gotten uh, themselves stabilized somewhat. We'll talk about that game in the, in the third segment of today's show. 
But uh, Alabama certainly as strong as ever right now. Notre Dame, number two, Ohio State, number three. Let's talk about the Buckeyes, 42-35 over Indiana. A game that maybe exposed some things with Ohio State in the secondary. Michael Penix for Indiana threw for 491 yards and five touchdowns. But here's the thing, Paul, and, you know, I have – taken in and listened to a lot of the commentary about this game. And I don't know. One thing over the years for me as I meander through a season is I try not to take one game or one data point and overreact because the truth is every team is going to play a couple games where they're just not at their top level. Every team may play a couple games where they look way better than they are, but I just can't get with the people who are like Ohio state. Well, this means they've got major problems and they're not winning the national championship. Um, it certainly means that they are not with Alabama right now for number one, but I'll tell you what, if they play uh, Alabama in a championship game or in a semifinal, I still would rate Ohio state with a very good chance because I just believe in, in their talent and their offense. And frankly, they did a lot of things wrong in this game and, and they still were able to hang on to win. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I think that's the takeaway for Ohio State is that you had like a bad 18 minutes out of 60 that Indiana kind of dominated and made the score a little bit closer. Um, you kind of overlook the fact when you look at the final score that Ohio State was up 35-7 and they had their own 20-minute spurt where they looked unstoppable. Um, yeah, I think your best point was like you look back at the regular season for all these teams that win national championships. And there's always one game, whether it's Alabama Old Miss or Clemson-Syracuse, where you're like, all right, well, they're trash. They're not going to win a national championship. They barely beat Syracuse. They lost to Bo Wallace. And then, you know, eight months later, or, you know, four months later, we're like, Hey, where does this Alabama team rank in the greatest of all time? So we got to stay focused and, and see the, the forest. Um, I came out of this game, like not worried at all about Ohio state. We could talk about their past defense. It hasn't been really good all season. I thought this was a great moment for Indiana, you know, I mean, to come back from 28 down, to have the ball with a slim chance to tie at the end of regulation. So that's a great moment for Indiana. I think they're probably going to end the year. Look, they've got a great chance at being that new year six team for the big 10. I mean, if Ohio state makes the playoff, if they only take one, they'll probably end up taking more than one. But in other words, they may end up being number two in the big 10 to end the year. And I think that would be justified if they run the table the rest of the way, because no one has played Ohio state like that since Maryland in November of 2018. And when it comes to a big 10 team, at least. Yeah, and Indiana got respect in the poll by only dropping three spots. Now, certainly you could argue maybe they should have stayed the same because of the performance they put forth. But uh, I think that does show a measure of respect for Indiana and what they've done. Uh, What what did you think of the viral uh, video of the speech that Tom Allen gave after the game? I'm sure you saw that. (laughs) Yeah, um, He's good at that. Um, yeah, I don't think there's any bad. pretense about it. Yeah, that's his, that's his thing. Uh, and Hugh Freeze spoke about Tom Allen last week when he was on the podcast about the kind of things that Tom Allen does or did when they were together that Hugh Freeze just doesn't. And uh, I think it's, that's one of them, that he's one of those guys. Um, when it comes down to it, Ohio State's going to beat 99% of the teams in the country based on pure talent. So if you're going to have a shot to beat Ohio State, certainly if you're Indiana or really if you're pretty much anybody, you've got to – play with something that's intangible and Indiana clearly plays with something that you can't truly define because you don't come back from 28 points down and then, you know, make it a touchdown game. So really cool moment for Tom Allen. We'll see. I mean, 
what they build on it going forward through 2020, I, I don't think they'll, you know, lose next week and, and have a hangover, but we'll see really like what happens in 2021 and beyond. Is this the start of something for Indiana is a lightning in a bottle? I don't really know. I hope that it's something big that's coming, but, uh, clearly Tom Allen thinks there's something brewing and I think his guys play hard for him. And if you play hard for your coach, I think that's the ultimate Testament to the coach. Yeah. And uh, to go back to your earlier point about what it all means for Ohio state, I I just want to just kind of go through one thing that came into my mind about that last year, maybe around this time, I very specifically remember texting somebody who's a colleague of ours at another publication, we were talking about LSU and I said, there's no way LSU is winning a national championship with this defense. And at the time I sent that text, like if, if LSU had to go play a championship game that next day with that defense, they probably wouldn't have won, but guess what? Their defense got better. And that's part of what we sometimes don't account for because it's the hardest thing to, to know. It's the hardest thing to figure out is between November 22nd and January 1st, one or more of these teams is going to get significantly better on offense or defense. And we don't really know who it's going to be. Maybe it's going to be Clemson. Like I don't think Clemson as of today, and we'll talk about them in a moment. I don't think Clemson would win a national championship today but maybe they will by, by January 1st. And, and I, I kind of am taking that same approach with Ohio State. Yeah, the defense looked a little rough in the back end, but what's it going to be like in a month? Yeah, and I think this year more than any other, you're going to see that mammoth improvement um, from November or whatever through January just because it's the nature of the beast. I mean, last year Vanderbilt scored 38 on LSU in what, early October, late yeah. September? And within a month they were – the team to beat for the national championship. So I think we've pinpointed which four to six, I mean, six might be even pushing it. Yeah. Which four team can win the national championship. But um, we don't know what those four will look like. We just expect them to be there. I would actually even say it's three. Yeah, it really is. I threw Notre Dame in there because Notre Dame, I threw them in there because I just felt like it was the right thing to do, but let's just, let's just be real. It's three. And it may just be two. It may be one. We may not even have a championship game. It may be zero. <laughs> well, <let's>, Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? All right. Well, let's uh, move on to number four, Clemson. <laughs> so Saturday morning, uh, I was uh, out and about getting a couple things done before all the games were starting. And then look at my phone and I see that the ACC has sent out an email that Florida State Clemson, which was supposed to kick off at noon, was not going to be played in a very ambiguously worded email about the teams not being able to agree on playing the game. And as we come to find out through reporting, a lot of people, including myself, reaching out to folks uh, at both of those schools, basically what happened is Clemson got on the airplane on Friday before all their test results from the Friday test were in And they land in Tallahassee, they go to the hotel, they find out Friday night that one of their players, who I guess was an offensive lineman, who was on the trip, had tested positive. A player who had actually felt sick earlier in the week, but had practiced, but had tested negative earlier in the week. So Florida State learns this information. 
they get on the phone with the with the ACC and they decide they don't want to play. They they decide that it's too big of a risk that they can't play. And this sets off this major controversy and you've got Clemson people pointing the finger. Clemson is they want to play the game. They uh, are willing to play it Sunday or maybe Monday, get tested more. Florida state says, no, let's play in December. There's a lot of finger pointing back and forth, the fan bases, the media. And I'll just give you kind of where I come down on it. I understand everybody's side of this. I understand the frustration on the Clemson side that Florida state didn't want to play. Uh, I understand, certainly understand Florida state side that Clemson got on the airplane and traveled with a COVID positive player and Florida state's already thin. They've already lost a bunch of guys. They, if they dip too much below the threshold, they wouldn't be able to play the following week. And maybe even the week after that, they haven't had a lot of positives lately. They've been very strict on their protocols. They didn't want to risk it. I understand it. What I don't understand is this idea that Florida state's trying to duck the game. I mean, that's silly to me. And I think the people who are putting that narrative out are just wrong and stupid. And I think frankly, the ACC has a role to play in that. And that's what I wrote about And that they didn't really have Florida state's back in that statement. And I think they should have. Yeah. Um, I completely agree with you um, in terms of the ACC, giving a more uh, concrete explanation and also explaining uh, for people like us and for fans, like, Hey, this is the protocol and, and this is how you have to walk through it. And, and these are the reasons why you won't play a game. This is why games can be canceled or postponed. So we could have used that information yesterday. Um, I find the, the, um, the line that Florida state ducked the game just to be frankly offensive, um, offensive to Florida state offensive to Norvell and to the program and offensive to the players. Um, it's ridiculous. I, I mean, I, I don't understand if you're a professional and you actually believe that and you share that thought, I think that's offensive to Florida state. I really do. Um, spend some time with like, I think a lot about when I talk to student athletes about a fifth year senior, I met at Kansas before his final game. Thanksgiving, 2015, David Beatty's first year, they were 0 11 about to play Kansas state. The kid was like four and 50 across his entire college career. And, uh, talking about playing in his last game. He, he just couldn't stop crying sitting in a room in Lawrence in a, in some sort of small office. And that's so much a mentor for his college career. And he was terrible, played on terrible teams. Yeah. Florida state's been bad, but it's offensive to think that those kids don't want to play. I, I find that offensive. So that's it. I mean, I just find that to be frankly offensive, truly offensive to Florida state to think that they would duck any opponent, even Clemson. It's ridiculous. Well, yeah. And, and look, here's the issue is let's just say, and certainly what we know about COVID, you can't discount the possibility that because of Clemson traveling on the plane with this player, even if they're taking some precautions or a lot of precautions, that it could result in future tests, more Clemson players testing positive, in which case then you'd have to go through the contact tracing of all the Florida state players who played in the game versus the Clemson players who, who subsequently tested positive. So then if Florida state had to sit people for contact tracing, that would create a problem for them. So um, I just don't see how you can blame them. I hope they'll play the game. I think if they can figure out a way to play the game on December 12th, Florida state will do that and they will take their 35 point beating and they'll do what they have to do. But um, look, why is the ACC letting people travel before they have their Friday test results? 
Why is anyone doing that? That seems stupid to me. Yeah. Well, Clemson tests on Sundays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and teams should probably test on Thursdays for road games. Like you said, if you're going to leave on Friday for a road game, you need to know in advance. Seems pretty logical. Um, it's, I'm just thinking right now, what does this mean for Clemson? Like going forward, you have a player who's positive on your team who practiced all week. Are, are we talking about the potential that they're going to have players go into contact tracing and quarantine? Are they going to be short players? Are we thinking that there's a possibility even that their next game could get canceled because they'll be short? If they're short their entire offensive line, which we've seen places that one player has gotten COVID and the entire position group has needed to go into quarantine. Yeah. I, I, who knows? Uh, I think anything's possible at this point, but I guess we'll learn more supposedly on Sunday night, uh, Davo Sweeney and Dan Radakovich, the athletic director at Clemson will talk about the situation. So we'll see what they have to say, but uh, yeah, just um in a year of firsts, that was a first to have a game canceled that close to kickoff. Number five, Florida breezed through Vanderbilt. It was a little bit of a struggle early, but the reality is that uh, once Florida's offense got rolling, uh, they were not going to be stopped whatsoever. Uh, Vanderbilt certainly tried, but 38-17. And Vanderbilt, for a team that's 0-7, they're actually fighting fairly hard. They're playing hard uh, for whatever that's worth. Um, number six, Texas A&M, they were off. They had a game against Ole Miss. It was canceled or postponed due to COVID Cincinnati clocks in at number seven, which is where they were last week. They are now eight. No, they won 36, 33 at UCF. Certainly their most difficult uh, game of the season so far. In fact, uh, Cincinnati was, was down early a couple scores in this game. Uh, 14 to three UCF after the first quarter, Cincinnati had taken the lead by halftime, but you know, UCF kept in, in it and they, they took the lead again in the fourth quarter. Cincinnati was able to finally punch it in and, and get on top. And um, it, certainly I thought it was notable. The post game celebration that felt like a big one to Cincinnati. They, they celebrated that one almost like it was a conference championship. Well, it kind of feels like it was, right? I mean, it's like the like the last tough – or not the last tough, but the toughest one that they've faced so far, the first close game they've really faced so far. So um, it didn't feel like an escape. I mean, from 25-22 when they took the lead in the fourth, it, it felt like they were in control. Um, but, look, we talked about Cincinnati's defense before. I was looking at some of the numbers, what they did to UCF. Um, 260 yards below UCF's per-game average held them to 359. Um, yeah. their UCF's worst game in the regular season. They, they played worse in the Fiesta Bowl loss to LSU a few years back, but for a worse offensive performance during the regular season, you got to go back to Scott Frost's first year um, in 2016. So it's been a long time since Cincinnati, I mean, since any team did to UCF what Cincinnati did. So I understand why people aren't putting them ahead of Florida or a and I, I mean, I just kind of get it. I know why you wouldn't, I guess, but they're really, really good. They truly are. Um, and they showed it, I think, against UCF. Also, we don't talk about their offense. Their offense is damn good. It's just not as good as their defense, but it's still a top 20 offense in the country. No doubt. Um, and Desmond Ritter, uh, I thought, was was very tough at the end of that game. And uh, I, I don't know what this will do for Cincinnati in terms of, of boosting their playoff uh, potential or, or playoff hopes. I don't know how much respect the country and the voters are going to give to – to, to UCF, but what do you think in terms of 
in terms of uh, where they're going to be ranked by the committee? Well, I, this is a weird ranking. There's, it's really hard for the committee, I think, to get a, a handle on things with so many different games played. So my thought in general is that the committee is going to be very conservative in terms of how they rank teams. And being conservative with a group of five means that you underrank them. So if Cincinnati's seven in our poll, I think there's a chance that they'll be eight, nine in the uh, in the playoff committee rankings. I'm going to go with um, 10. I'm going to go with 10. Yeah, it, it could even be 10, honestly. It could be 10. Um, I think you'll probably see Northwestern ahead of them, or at least you'll see them make a case for having Northwestern ahead as well, um, which I, Northwestern is 10, I think, in our poll this week, or are they nine? Northwestern, Northwestern is, is 13. Well, just 13? Okay, sorry. We'll talk. Uh, okay, yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Okay. Fine. Um, yeah, they could be. They could be uh, at least eight, nine, ten, which is pretty standard. They're not going to be set up for in a position where they're already seven or six and can climb into four with some ease. So that's how things go for the group of five. Uh, number eight BYU. They had uh, North Alabama. That was basically a basically like a bye week for them. They're nine and zero. Oh. Uh, we'll see if they can schedule any more games to uh, potentially boost their stock a little bit. Miami was supposed to play Georgia Tech. They had COVID issues, including Manny Diaz. Uh, so best wishes to Manny. Uh, hope he gets better soon. Georgia number 10, we finally saw JT Daniels play at quarterback. And I think probably a lot of Georgia fans left that game sort of mad, anxious, uh, frustrated that we haven't seen more of him. And, you know, I don't know what to believe with Kirby. They've said that JT has been healthy the whole time. I just can't imagine that's true, but there was certainly a little bit more zip and verve in the Georgia offense. The problem was their defense, their defense kept Mississippi state kind of hanging around in that game. And and Georgia had to hold on for a 31, 24 win, but uh, I don't know how much you saw of that, but uh, four touchdown passes for JT Daniels, 401 passing yards. It's a pretty good debut. Yeah, I was excited to watch him, so I, I caught that. Um, yeah, he was really good. Look, um, if he was healthy all year, that's that's not good for Kirby Smart. No. Please ex- explain why. Like, explain why he's not playing from the start if he's healthy all year. Just be honest. He, maybe he wasn't healthy. Maybe he was still working his way back into shape. It's fine. It's okay. Like, you could tell the truth. Um, because if he was healthy and you were still starting to bet it, um, you've got two losses that you need to explain. And you've got a, a missed opportunity at an SEC East title that you need to explain away because you weren't playing the best quarterback on your roster. So pretty obvious that JT Daniels is that for Georgia. Number 11, Oregon, uh, 3-0. and Held on to beat UCLA 38-35. Uh, Tyler Shuck, 334 passing yards, three touchdowns. I, I would say, you know, look, a couple things. More signs of life from UCLA. I mean, they're only one and two, but they, they've been a, a competitive one and two. And I think it's that was a big game for Chip Kelly going back to, to Eugene to coach. And um, UCLA was was right there. Uh, they, they certainly ha- had some had a chance late. But uh, Oregon is on track, you know, and I don't know how the committee – this will be another one of the big questions for Tuesday, which is – an Oregon team that's only played three games versus all these other teams that have played, you know, seven, eight, nine games. Uh, does that significantly impact where they place Oregon? But I'm very interested to see how they evaluate that because there's a good chance Oregon could be undefeated. Yeah. Um, what you said about UCLA is absolutely true. They look a lot better. Um, 
Oregon is Oregon's fine. I, I just don't. Yeah, I don't know where they're going to rank them. I really don't. I don't. I don't know how you perceive the case of a team that has three weeks under their belt. Um, and you know, I really don't know. It's the most frustrating thing because I think you. I think Oregon's good enough to be in the mix. I just don't know. They're certainly not going to be in the top six or seven or eight, probably in the in the debut rankings. But their only hope is to give these committee members something to think about. You know, and if they can schedule a non-conference game, I suggest that they do so because I think it'd be good for their Q rating and for their reputation. If they could get a game in, in case something gets canceled. Number 12 is Indiana. We've talked about them. Northwestern number 13, Paul, uh, we need to brace for the possibility that when they play the big 10 championship game on December 19th, it is going to be, 7 and 0 Ohio State versus 8 and 0 Northwestern. Northwestern is 5 and 0. They beat Wisconsin 17-7. Their final 3 games at Michigan State, at Minnesota versus Illinois. Northwestern is going to be 8 and 0 and playing for a spot in the college football playoff on December 19th. Yeah, it's going to be I don't know if you would call it winner take all because I feel like Ohio State could survive it theoretically, but um yeah, that's going to be happening. That's going to happen. It's going to be Eight and zero Northwestern. Eight and zero Northwestern. That's pretty awesome. Um, well, especially just given I, what happened last season, where they just melted down. Why are they thirteenth in this poll? Why are they behind Georgia? They've got the same number of wins as Georgia. They've got a better win. What's Georgia's best win? Oh no, I agree. Uh, the Wisconsin win was impressive, and it was it was quintessential Northwestern Pat Fitzgerald defense. And I, I believe I pegged this correctly in the bold predictions that we do on Friday, which is that look, um, Graham Mertz had looked good for the first couple games that Wisconsin had played, but when you're facing Minnesota and when you're facing Illinois, those were the first two games that Wisconsin had played it's kind of a free pass and third game, not a lot of experience. You got to go against a Fitz defense. He's going to throw some looks at you that are, are going to confuse you. He's going to uh, try to mess with your head a little bit. And what we saw in in the game was three interceptions. Graham Mertz could not do a whole lot uh, downfield and, I, look, I don't know if that defense is going to be look as good against Ohio State, just as an example, but it's a real defense, and you're right. They should be in the top ten. Yeah, well, they shouldn't be behind Indiana, all due respect. They've got more wins and fewer losses. They should be ahead of Oregon. They should be ahead of Georgia. And you could say they should be ahead of Miami. They should be at least number nine. At least number nine. Come on. Get real, guys. all right uh rant uh noted on that number 14 i'm a proud northwestern grad grad um, i'm not i didn't uh i I couldn't even get it northeastern no disrespect (laughs) to northeastern um yeah no i'm not i'm not pro northwestern or anything like that just come on come on get real number 14 oklahoma Oklahoma is out of the college football playoff. They're not going to make it in. Uh, It's just not going to happen. But it is exactly the way you called it several weeks ago, which is that they are getting their act together and they are going to roll through the rest of the Big 12 
and they're going to get their rematch probably with Ohio's uh, Iowa state in the big 12 championship game. They dismissed Oklahoma state 41 to 13 Oklahoma state. There was maybe a window of opportunity for them in the second half to, to get back in it in the third quarter, but they, they scored no points in the second half. And so credit to Oklahoma's defense, which certainly much maligned over the last few years, but um, did not really let their uh, foot off the gas at all on defense. And and they did what they needed to do on offense. So um, I I don't know what this is going to mean for Oklahoma, but uh, it sure sets up an interesting big 12 championship game, even if it's not going to be for a spot in the playoff. Yeah. um, Iowa state beat Oklahoma. They should be 14. Oklahoma should be 15. <laughs> yes. Another, just, another full just, complaint. Yes. Let's just do that. Um, oh, I know. Yeah, Iowa Oklahoma, State is 15, just for, for right. the record. And I, uh, Oklahoma is looking really good. Um, Oklahoma State, not so good. Not so good. This is, a, this is not really a rivalry. A rivalry, it's, it's, they're rivals in a very, very limited geographic sense. They're not really rivals. They're, they're, they're not rivals. I have a rivalry with the guy who has the dry cleaner in the, in the lobby of my building from, cause about six years ago, he overcharged me for a shirt. He doesn't realize we have a rivalry. It's just, <laughs> I don't go to him anymore. So it's a rivalry. That's essentially what Oklahoma, Oklahoma state is. It's not really a rivalry. Um, they, they just beat them like a drum 13 out of 15 or 14 out of 16 tries when Gundy's the coach. Um, I think Oklahoma and Iowa state have very, very clearly risen to the top of the big 12. So I'm very happy to see that uh, barring, like just an unforeseeable collapse that will rematch those two teams with the New Year's Six Bowl on the line. Yeah, and and I certainly do give a lot of respect to Iowa State at this point because they seem to be getting better too. Uh, they absolutely crushed uh, Kansas State 45 nothing. That game was not even competitive at really any point. So uh, – Good stuff all around there. Uh, number 16 is Marshall. Number 17, Coastal Carolina. They are 8-0. They came from behind, and they were able to fend off a real challenge from Appalachian State, which has been kind of the bellwether program of, of the Sun Belt. But uh, look at Coastal Carolina now. They are 6-0 and in the league, 8-0 and overall. And I think it's a fun story. It continues to uh, – continues to unfold. They are, they're, they're very teal, very teal. Yeah, like that, the biggest development of the year is that it's Chanticleers. It's, I'm calling yes. it Chanticleers for. Oh yeah. No, it's Chant. Yeah. Chanticleers. Yep. It's a little bit, it's a little bit, a uh, little bit too much guys. Uh, it's like, you know, this, this, just let us pronounce things the way that we want to pronounce things. Okay. Chanticleers is fine. Chanticleers is fine. I'm, I, I don't know if I'm going to just embrace Chanticleers. It makes me feel very bougie to do that. I'm probably just going to stick with Chanticleers. Well, I don't really think that's appropriate. I think they should, we should call them what they prefer to be called. Uh, although you, know, I don't... you know what? You're exactly right. You're exactly right. That, you're exactly right. I really that's, – uh, that's, they should be Chanticleers. That's what they want to be called. That's what they should be called. And by the way, Grayson McCall is a pretty nice quarterback, young, young kid, but uh, tough, tough player. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, oh, goodness, a t- tough player. And, and when, uh, you know, when the chips were down in that game, 
it was uh, it was really touch and go. I, I thought there was a point in that game where they were going to lose, but the last five minutes of that game, they they just sort of willed their way uh, and just really impressive all around. So um, I don't know. I mean, they've they've got way too much competition for this group of five bowl spot uh, to get in, most likely. But I mean, what a what a rise for for that program. Uh, USC number eighteen. They're three and zero. I did not watch any of the the game that they played. It was uh, it was a uh, fairly late night. I guess is that is that fair to say? I mean, did you did fair you watch them? What's that? Yeah, yeah. Utah looked like a team that hadn't played in a long time. They looked like a team that had had been they had thought they were going to play maybe two months ago, and then they kept getting delayed. They had five turnovers. Um, nothing really going on offense, nothing going at quarterback. So I wouldn't say that USC necessarily impressive, but it's impressive in a sense that USC didn't need to score 14 points in, in 65 seconds to, to actually win a game. Yeah. And, and you're right at Utah. It's just amazing. Like there are some teams that have played, you know, eight, nine, 10 games, and this was Utah's season debut. Um, that's just kind of the way it's gone with COVID. All right, let's uh, move on to number 19, Auburn. Uh, I thought Auburn was was fine. They they are playing better than they were early in the season. They beat Tennessee thirty to seventeen. I, I think the real development in this in this game is the narrative around Tennessee. Tennessee's lost now five straight games by double figures, which has never happened in the history of their program before. They're a real mess, and you are starting to see the Tennessee fan base uh, fracture and go after Jeremy Pruitt, um, you know, Pru- Pruitt, uh, everything now he says is getting picked apart in the postgame press conferences. I don't think they're going to fire him though. I, I just, he got a contract extension before the season. Phil Fulmer got a contract extension. I think Tennessee's just stuck and I'm not sure that another coaching change is necessarily even what they need. Yeah, I don't know if this is too soon. This may be too soon, but um, Tennessee could have hired Greg Schiano. <laughs> is it too soon? Well, Can we talk about this? It's too soon. But they could have hired Greg Schiano. Um, and there's a not that many coaches in the country right now that I would take over Greg Schiano. And I and I maybe that's hyperbole and, and I'm just high off the fact that they're like light years better than they were in the last five. But uh you hire Jerry Pruitt, he's never been a head coach anywhere. Um you have a, a AD in Phil Fulmer who's never held that sort of position and uh actually was he ever the A D at East Tennessee? He might have mm, Fulmer. No, no, no. Right. He had some sort of role there. I don't remember what it was. Yeah. Consultant um, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you hire a bunch of amateurs at their job, then I don't know why you'd expect any sort of like either you're hitting, you're striking gold. Like you're the, you're the one program that's striking gold or you're just like everybody else. And you made a series of bad hires. Um, I'm not too high on, on the Pruitt era at this point. No, it's, it's been bad here. Here's the problem with the Tennessee job. And, and, this will go to another result that uh, I don't think we need to talk about too much, but okay. okay, The great Shiano thing happens. The Mike Leach thing happens. Well, the next guy that they were, or maybe it was before Leach. I I can't remember the, the sequential order, but the other guy who got offered the job in that sequence was Dave Doran. And like, Dave Doran is, is a replacement level college football coach. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah. You know what? He's impressing me this year. Yes, I might well, that, okay. That's what like, I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Right. Like, so NC state beats Liberty 15 to 14. 
Mm-hmm. NC State six and three. They're having a nice season, but like they're not going to they're not going to go anywhere as a program under Doran. Like they're just going to kind of they're going to win you know six seven eight maybe one year they they rise up and win nine games and you know it's kind of give or take. It's it, it, we know what it is, right? He's been there long enough now, and it's 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 very comfortable. He could have gotten the big SEC job, the big name Tennessee with all the facilities and all the resources and big money. And he and his wife looked at it and said, just from the standpoint of living our lives, why would we go there? It's too crazy. The fan it's, it's nuts. They will run you out of town. They will ruin your life. They will uh, harass you. If you're not winning, like it's miserable. Why? And that's the problem with the Tennessee job. Why? Yeah, I mean, we're going to speak to to Niamatololo in a moment, and we pre-recorded it, and he says something in our talk about, you know, the money is enticing, and the money at Tennessee is enticing, but at some point, at what like when you have diminishing returns on your on your payment on your paycheck, and if you're making X million at NC State or elsewhere, like is the extra one million bucks at Tennessee? I hate to say this because we'd all take a million bucks, but is it worth it at a certain point? I don't know. Um, and Tennessee once, or if they get rid of Pruitt or they move on, um, I don't know what their pool will look like because the pool of, of candidates that you can entice gets weaker and weaker, the farther away you get from being relevant. And they're pretty far away from being relevant right now. Well, I'll tell you what I would do if I were Tennessee, I would hire Clay Helton. Hmm. What do you think? I think Clay Helton is a uh, great guy, terrific guy who um, represents a program. Well, great face, of the program cares about the players. Um, I think you could do worse than a guy who's won at a pretty high level, even if not to the expectations at USC. Stability. It's, it's a, st- you need stability in somebody who's been in the arena. He he's dealt with some stuff, you know, and, and I just, that's a great point. That's a good point. Yeah. I just think that would be a good fit. You know, it's, mm-hmm. but Hey, for all we know, Clay Helton may make the playoff this year. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, number 20 is Wisconsin. Uh, number 21 is Texas. Oklahoma state falls to 22 from 14 North Carolina up to 23 from, from 24 Louisiana Lafayette at 24. Another coach who tested positive there. Uh, Billy Napier from Louisiana Lafayette. Certainly uh, hope he gets well soon. And number 25 is Tulsa getting into the poll at five and one who maybe has played one of the craziest games you'll see all year long on Thursday night. They were down 14, nothing against Tulane going into the fourth quarter. They, they go back to back long touchdown drives to tie it. Tulane takes the ball with a couple minutes to go. They go down the field and score. They they're back up a touchdown and then Tulsa gets the game into overtime on a Hail Mary. They win it in double overtime on a pick six. Tulsa's won a few games in this fashion this year. They, they are kind of the horseshoe up the rear end team of, of this college football season. And uh, props to them for making it into the Amway coaches poll. Yeah. And also should note that they played three quarterbacks in that win. So your odds of winning drop every time you have to dig a little bit deeper on your QB depth chart. And they went to their third and still won an OT. So maybe there's something special about this team. Good for Tulsa because no one saw it coming. 
Nobody. Uh, and and now, you know, you look at it from the other side, too, as a Tulane uh, person and say you had three people who watched the Hail Mary sail over their heads before uh, somebody caught it. But uh, they've had a hard luck season. Tulane, Tulane is kind of the, the bizarro Tulsa. They've, they've found a way to lose games. <laughs> Tulsa's found a way to win them. And in terms of Cincinnati, you're talking about a matchup that uh, – we're going to see December 12th and very much like last year with Cincinnati where they played Memphis in the final game of the, of the regular season. And then again, in the championship game the following week, I, it's shaping up that we're probably going to have that same thing happen with, with Tulsa and Cincinnati and uh, Cincinnati this year, December 12th. And then again, the very next week. Yeah. It's almost, I mean, it's not mathematically impossible for something else to happen, but it's like, you know, it's like in the big 12, it's just so unfeasible. I think it's, it's almost guaranteed. Uh, Cincinnati, Tulsa. I think Cincinnati respects Tulsa. I think they're less fearful of that matchup than they were a year ago of having to face that Memphis offense two games in a row. And in terms of the other receiving votes for the NY coaches poll, Nevada sitting right outside the top 25. They are looking like a real contender in the Mountain West. Liberty drops uh, down to 27. Missouri getting some votes. Washington getting a couple votes. So we, uh, we move on with this college football season. Hopefully we have a better percentage of games being played next week than this week. But in the meantime, let's check in with Navy coach Ken Niamatololo. Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. During the season, coaches need a lot of coffee and don't need all the sugar and calories found in most craft coffee drinks. Excess Energy Cafe Mocha delivers 80 milligrams of natural caffeine from Arabica and Robusta coffee beans and B vitamins, including 500% of the daily value of B12. Made with real coffee, real cocoa, and real milk, this velvety-rich coffee experience contains 7 grams of protein and only 2 grams of added sugar. Excess Energy Cafe Mocha is not your regular cup of joe. Follow us on Instagram at Excess Nation to experience more. And stay tuned after the podcast to learn about how coffee can jumpstart your workout and performance with fitness influencer and world traveler Nicole Lewis. Now, back to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll with Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg. Pleased to be joined this week by Navy coach Ken Niamatololo in his 13th year at Navy. Ken, I can't imagine that uh, year number 13 is anything like you thought it was going to be. As we sit here and talk right now, you guys have had three straight games canceled due to COVID situations, whether it was you guys or the opponents. You're going to play probably some of those games, but what's it like just to be in flux right now, not knowing when your next game is going to be and who your opponent's going to be really? Well, the thing that thing that ends up happening, Dan, is we recognize that everybody's going through it. So it's not, you know, don't like, okay, woe is me or feel sorry for ourselves because we're not, you know, we're, there are a lot of people suffering way worse than us. But, you know, so these last three opponents, you spend all this time, you game plan, and basically you have to junk it. You know what I mean? So you go, all right, we're good. And then you get to Thursday. Uh, uh, just kidding, we're not playing. So then you start for the next guy's. And you, you, you kind of going okay. What can we do? That's a certainty, but there is no certainty. And so, but you have to plan for the game because it's not like oh, we probably won't play. Then you don't prepare, and then you get to Thursday. Oh, by the way, you guys are playing. Oh, wait, wait a minute, we we don't have our game plan together. So you know, I was just talking to our defensive coordinator yesterday at practice. Like man, you know, I was feeling really good about our plan, and then you wake up and like uh, 
you know, throw that throw that game plan in the trash, uh, save it for next year or whatever. Yeah, that was my uh, plan when I was in school. I would just assume that tests would be canceled. <laughs> um, I would just hope. Please don't. Please don't. Um, you know, your your program, your the the academy is as much as any place in the country relies on a routine and a rhythm. How do you think your guys are adapting to what you mentioned that you could get to a Thursday and all of a sudden you're snapped out of that rhythm? I think our guys are doing as good as you can do. You know, very resilient guys, but. I think all of us as human beings, it, it's tough being indoors. And so we were safe early on because we were, you know, locked away, so to speak, on the yard. And there weren't very many cases. But then they started to allow guys, people to leave because, I mean, you can't have people locked up all the time. But and then with that came, you know, some cases on the yard. So things start to, you know, spread a little bit. Um, but our guys are doing the best that they can to adjust you know, we're learning to adjust as coaches. I, I did a, you know, horrible job. Be honest, you start off. I, I mean, you, I didn't know how to practice this way. I did, you know, you, you talk about routine. I had our routine, what we do in the spring, what we do in the summer. And then when you get rid of steps A through K, and then you try to press on, um, you look, you realize that it's, your team isn't the same. And so all of us are learning how to adjust. Nobody has a playbook for this pandemic. But like I said, what I've tried to tell our guys, hey, it doesn't do any use to complain. There are a lot of people in this world going way worse than we are. If we don't play, we just keep pressing forward. And, well, that's kind of where we've been right now. We just, But our guys have been doing a decent job, we think, adjusting. What you mentioned there about uh, not doing a good job preparing the team for the opener, we all know what happened against BYU. But – Within a couple of weeks, you were sort of back to playing your type of football uh, relatively quickly. Was it just a change in, in how you practiced, a change in approach, or or was it maybe just you know the fact that that your guys got used to it? Yeah, I think that just what we start to do is practice a little bit more physical in practice, which most people don't tackle during the season. Most people don't do those kinds of things, and you very you limit most of your contact during the season, but we did a lot more. I think it helped us at some points, but then we got a ton of injuries. You know what I mean? Because you're going, you're doing more banging during the week, which you normally don't do. So we'd get to the games. I felt like we were pad ready, but you know, we go over our, we go over our injury report every day and you know, so-and-so has got a sprained elbow and this or that. And you kind of had to live with some of those things to kind of get ready. You know, it's kind of like a boxers that, you're used to wearing headgear to get ready for a deal. And like, you know what, we've got to take the headgear off and, and fight to learn, you know, get ready. And we'd get to the fight with a bunch of black eyes. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it was the only way we could that, you know, we knew how to kind of expedite that physical readiness, you know, so to speak. Okay. I know from, from speaking with you in the past and spending time with you, how important it is during a normal year, that your assistants and yourself are, are home and you spend a lot of time with your family and you make sure that you separate work and your family life. Um, you can't separate it anymore. You mentioned that you're sitting at your kitchen and, and this is your new life. Um, what are you doing for yourself and what do you think your staff is doing to stay? I don't want to use the word sane, but to stay balanced and, and to maintain and make sure that you're not, um, getting into a rut maybe from an emotional or, or mental perspective? That's a great question, Paul. We're, we're still figuring that out. 
you know, there'll be some times when you be in a meeting and you just hear, hey, you guys go in the next room, you know, kids are running in the back or, you know, you got to do certain things or people got to move to different places. Um, you're still trying to, f- I think we're all still trying to figure that out. You know, it's, you know, we're all, I think everybody, most, a lot of people are ha- uh, creatures of habit, especially coaches, man. You know, Monday we do this, Tuesday we do that. And it's just weird. And we just, um, probably not doing a very good job of it. Honestly, Paul, we're just, we're trying our best, but it, it's weird for me to, you know, to click a button. I just got, you know, 30 seconds ago, I was on a staff meeting and then click on, I'm doing this video. Then after this, I'll click back. And, but like I said, there, there are a lot of people that have it way worse than this. We're, we're still trying to figure it out. Um, hopefully we don't have to figure it out for next year, but you know, we'll just see. Ken, you, you're now in year 13. It's a long time to be in any program. You have uh, had opportunities to leave Navy. You've, you've looked at opportunities to leave, and you've always decided that, that Navy is, is the best place for you. You know, I'm just curious how you've done it because when you, when you look at coaches nowadays, staying in one place for a long time, there, one side gets tired of the other. You know, and yet it seems like you've, you've been able to – uh, just maintain and and build and and keep it fresh. Uh, what would be your advice to coaches uh, about how to maintain that sort of longevity at a place and and understand you know from both sides what the expectations are? And I think a lot of it is um, I think a lot of I don't know I, I'll credit my parents just kind of how I was raised, my values, family, and just you know that's the most important thing to me. And I saw as an early assistant what this job does to you. I mean, you, you, I mean, you're at the mercy of your head coach. And if, if you meet to 12 o'clock, you meet to 12 o'clock. If you're in office at six, you're at six. And I just saw what it did, you know, for me early on. I mean, I just, um, there are times I was wondering if, if this profession was right for me, I loved it and I love coming to work, but I mean, it, it didn't get a chance to see my family. And so when I became a head coach, I knew there are things that I wanted to do, that we could be competitive and be the best we could be, but I didn't want to sacrifice families for that. Uh, recognizing this is, this is still a ruthless profession. <laughs> you know, people don't care if you get, you know, father of the year award, they're still going to try to pummel you. You know what I mean? None of that matters. Um, but when I looked at those other jobs, and the, and the, I always tell that to our recruits and I tell it to our players, I feel like I owe it as a, um, to my family to, to take a look at those jobs and, you know, the, there are a lot of lucrative things, facilities, money. But then you kind of go and you kind of weigh things out. And I, I, I've always come like, you know what, I got a pretty good job. And I've been in this profession long enough that I've seen guys do that. You know, I'll go over here and a lot of guys are out of the profession now. You know, they've moved six times. And I just took a chance because, you know, if you stay here, you still got to win. You know what I mean? And if, Still got to beat Monken and Army. I mean, that, those things never change. Uh, but it's just what I felt like. You know what? I, I don't want to keep moving my family. I love it here at Annapolis. I love this. I love the Naval Academy. And you just, you just take a chance. You take a chance on yourself, your staff, your players. Um, but those, I mean, there are some tough decisions because it's um, – we make way too much as coaches. I mean, the money in coaching is ridiculous now. And I mean, some of the money is, is pretty enticing, but I, I'm fine. You know I mean? I like, you know what? I live 
I never thought I'd make this kind of money in this profession. But I can see why people leave, man. The, the, the money is it's hard to turn down. You, so you mentioned Army for a moment there, Ken. You're going to play them. I mean, let's hope that everything works out and you play them on the 12th. Um, do you think that you'll be at a disadvantage if you don't have that bye week? There's a chance that you'll play on the 5th, unlike in the past when you both have a bye going into the game. If Army has a bye and you don't, do you worry about them having an edge in that regard? Well, the first time that we didn't have a bye is when we, the streak broke. You know, we played in the AEC championship game. We played Temple, then we played them the next week. And so I realized then, like, you know what, uh, um, you need that time to prepare. You know, it, it helps you. You know, and I, I took a lot of flack for the Air Force deal early on, and I was okay with that because I, I really meant what I said, that, you know, having time to prepare for an opponent is definitely an advantage. You know, you can look at all the film. You can just – that's your one opponent. You're not worried about other teams. But I also come to come to the conclusion, Paul, hey, we're in the league. We made that decision. It's the same. We were happy to be in that championship game. And so we lost to Temple. Then we lost to Army. You know, it was part of the deal. We would love to have some time um, and, you know, have a couple weeks to prepare. But if we don't – I've told our guys, you know what, that's – Part of being in, you know, hopefully it will help them as leaders in the, in the Navy and Marine Corps when they're leading people. So I've never been to, I don't know why I shared this example with them. I've never been overseas in the military, but I said, hey, I'd imagine if you're overseas in Iraq or wherever, there, you know, plans could change, your mission could change, and you got to be able to adapt. This is just football. Yes, we'd love to have two weeks, but they say, hey, you only got a week. Let's hit it, man. Let's roll. And that's the way I've tried to lead our guys, Paul. And, but I'd be lying to say if I didn't want the time. But if we have a week, we'll have a week, and we'll go, we'll go up to West Point and get ready to get after them. For, for a lot of your time at Navy, even going back to when you were an assistant, one of the three academies has, has generally been down. We're in a period now where all three have been winning lately and are pretty successful. What does that uh, do to that, that series, that rival, those rivalries when – you know, I mean, you know, going in, whether the teams are good or bad, that those games are going to be tough and, and they're going to be different because of the style of play. But, you know, now that all three are doing well, what, what does that do to the rivalry? No, it's, I mean, it makes it, I mean, you, you got to be ready for everybody. Uh, you know, when Coach DeBerry and obviously Coach Calhoun were there, I mean, the Air Force, Air Force has always been good. When being here at the Naval Academy, we've always gone against them in recruiting on the field, and obviously Army was down at a point, and, and Monk's done a really good job of turning them around where they're a really good football program now. I think it's awesome. It's, it's great that all three schools are, you know, can compete against people. Um, but I think, I think it's great, and I think it's great that, you know, Army's good, um, you know, and, and Monk's done a good job with that program. But I think it's great for the Commander-in-Chief Trophy and for, for all three service academies. Are, are the coaches of, of you you and Troy and, and uh, Munkin, are you guys um, off the field? Do you have relationships or, or because of the rivalry, is it uh, a little harder to, to be, you know, friendly off the field? Yeah, it's um, – Munk and I are – I mean, we're, we've known each other for a long, long time. You know, we're, we're really good friends, but – it's hard to be his friend right now. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, I mean, that's just the truth. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, 
I mean, and, and not, I mean, it's not a hatred for him because as a person, I mean, I, I love the guy. He's a really good man. But you have to separate yourself. You know, it's competition. It's their school versus our school. It's my family versus their family. It's our staff versus their staff. I mean, that's how personal it is. You know, when um, when he first went there, he actually he and I talked. You know, he was at Georgia Southern, and so we were talking. Hey, he's, he's telling me on the phone. I can still remember I was in Hawaii. We are getting ready to play Hawaii. And he was just telling me, hey, you know, I'm you know, thinking about taking an Army job. I said, dang, Monk, of all the jobs, why you take that one, man? Just because we're friends, he's going to our rival. And then when he told me, you know, that um, I, I'm thinking I'm going to take it. And I said, you know what this means, Jeff? <laughs> he goes, well, one of us is getting fired. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just the reality. Yeah. I mean, that's the reality of, of rivalry schools. If you're Auburn and Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, Army, Navy, uh, someone's getting fired. <laughs> you know what I mean? It is. So, you know, this is whatever, however long ago, that was seven years ago. But um, so, you know, there's, I mean, that's just the reality of our job. Our job is such a bottom line profession. And we knew that getting into it. I mean, none of us are complaining, but, you know, he's a, he's a good man or good friends, but I know we have to beat them and they have to beat us, but it's, it's the profession we chose. Ken, you're finding, um, when you work from home, you're like a sports writer, right? Like this is our lives now that you're beginning to share. The hardest part is the fridge is right next door, right? That's the hard thing is that like you're right next to the kitchen at all times. You can always go in there and, and just open up and see what's going on. So I can see that you're adapting to the routine, but welcome to our daily existence for Dan and I that we can have it on, you know, for the last seven or eight years. Yeah, unfortunately, I need my wife to. She went to Hawaii, had a granddaughter, so she's in Hawaii right now. I needed her to put a lock, a padlock on the deal and not give me the key. But unfortunately, I've been going to the fridge too much. It's um, the pandemic does a lot of things that it definitely forces you to the fridge a lot and to the cupboards. All right, well, Ken, uh, we'll get you out on that. Thanks so much for coming on the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast this week, and uh, good luck whenever you play next. Hopefully, uh, for your sake, you'll find out soon when that is. All right, Dan, thank you. Thanks, Paul. See you guys. Good to see you. Thank you. Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. All right, thanks to Ken Niemadalolo for joining us. Let's move on to... This week, Paul, Thanksgiving holidays, always a great time for college football because you've got some matchups that we are used to seeing on the day we're used to seeing them. The difference is that uh, this year (laughs) it's not the last game for most of these teams. So the context, I I would guess, is a little bit different. But uh, we will get college football really uh, starting on on Thursday. We, We get Colorado State Air Force. On Thanksgiving, we get uh, New Mexico State. I'm sorry, New Mexico and Utah State. But the first big uh, Power Five game will be Friday. Iowa State at Texas, a couple of ranked teams. You know, Texas has kind of been under the radar the last few weeks, and and they've had some COVID uh, postponements. So it's hard to really know what what to make of them. But this will be an interesting test because I do think they've gotten better, and they're going to be at home. And Iowa State's kind of coming off the, the high point of, of their season so far with that big win over Kansas State. I actually think Texas might be in a prime spot here to, to cause some problems. Yeah, they've been definitely improved like Oklahoma, not at the rate that Oklahoma has improved the last five weeks. But Texas has a shot here. I just, you know, you watch Iowa State on Saturday 
and you watch Texas all season, even the last few weeks, I'm not sure what you see to make you think Texas is, or like we give you confidence to pick Texas to win this game. Two things, two things. One, their defense has gotten better. And Mm -hmm. two, for all of Tom Herman's faults, it's when his team is the underdog that they typically play well. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point that maybe can suggest a lot about why things have not gone so great at Texas. Um, look, I think the, the the deal for Iowa State is as good as they've been. Brock Purdy, their their star quarterback, who a lot of people in the preseason said was the third best QB in the country, a potential first round pick. Um, all due respect to him, he's not met expectations. He's had a he's had a poor season until Saturday when he had his best game of the year. I mean, by far. So if Iowa State gets that sort of play from Purdy, I think they're really tough to beat. And not just for Texas, they may be too tough for even Oklahoma to beat. So we'll see if it carries over. My, my prediction is if Purdy doesn't throw any picks and he's anywhere close to where he was yesterday, I think Iowa State wins on the road. Um, and I think mathematically they clinch. No, I know mathematically they clinch a spot in the, in the title game if they win. Notre Dame will reemerge Friday as well. They're going to North Carolina. I've seen a lot of people lately talk about, okay, well, since the Boston College game wasn't the trap game that we thought it might be, maybe it's North Carolina. Maybe this is the, the one that will really cause uh, some heartburn for, for Notre Dame. And if you look at the line, is from what I'm seeing now, and I'm, may change by the end of the day, I'm only seeing Notre Dame about a touchdown, seven-and-a-half-point favorite, but that's very early – um, you, you're pretty dialed in on North Carolina. What do you make of their chances of pulling the upset? Um, North Carolina wants to get into a shootout. I don't know if Notre Dame can stop them from doing that. I'm not sure if any team can really stop UNC from getting into a shootout, but it's when they get into these games where they've got to run that they find a new gear. It's like when you watch the team go down 41-14 and then in the fourth quarter they score 17 points. You're like, Hey, why don't they do this all the time? Like, why can't they always just play with this energy and play with this, like, you know, this tempo. So when Notre, when North Carolina gets into that situation, they're, they're really good and they're dangerous. I just don't know if Notre Dame will, will allow them to do that. I would still pick Notre Dame to win. Um, North Carolina will score points, 28, 31 points, but I don't think Notre Dame is going to be derailed um, if at all, until they meet Clemson and, you know, in a month or so. Well, speaking of Clemson, so they're playing Saturday. They've got Pitt at home. Pitt destroyed Virginia Tech this week. The only thing I'm questioning about this game, for one thing, Pitt's beat Clemson before. They've been a little bit of a thorn in the side. Pitt also historically will just win random games against teams they're not supposed to beat and lose to teams that they're not supposed to lose to. But beyond that, we have not seen Clemson play in a few weeks. You know, they they had the Notre Dame uh, – double overtime loss on November 7th. And then they were supposed to go into a bye week before Florida state. Well, now the Florida state game's canceled. So that's a long time to, to kind of sit back and, and not play a game. And Trevor Lawrence hasn't played since October 24th. So it's pretty interesting to me there. It's a bit of a lay. It's almost like a bowl type layoff for Clemson. Yeah, that's wild. I did not even think about the fact that it's been a month for Lawrence. I was just thinking three weeks for Clemson. Um, yeah, that's – I don't know what to expect. I mean, they're going to beat Pitt, but given the history of this series and, yeah, like given the fact that Lawrence, it's been a while, um, 
it could be interesting. I mean, let's see early. I mean, I mean, well, obviously we'll know like midway through the second, what the, what the flow of the game is going to be. Cause if Clemson starts fast, like they have, you know, pretty much all season, except for the two games that were Lawrence was out, then they'll pull away in the second half, but Pitt can muddy the waters. Also Pitt, um, I feel a little, a 1% of validation because they played a lot better recently. No, they have. And, and I don't know if you want to talk about Virginia tech, uh, coming out of that game, they, um, they're in a tough spot. Virginia Tech, the fans there are just absolutely uh, killing Justin Fuente. They, they want it to be over, but there's a, there's a huge investment in him. Uh, they, they don't play this week, but if you look at, at their finish, they've got uh, Clemson and then they've got Virginia as their last two games. I, at four and five, it's looking very unlikely that they're going to be 500. Uh, so – just real quick, do you have any sort of diagnosis of what's what's wrong there? Yeah, they play like they don't want to be there. Um, when they play, it's like they have either a dinner date or like um, they're they're being forced to do chores. <laughs> so it's just a lack of energy. Um, so that's it's just it's, they're not fun to watch. And I think if you're invested in the team and you care and you're watching this team, it must be miserable. It must be absolutely miserable to watch them play. So uh, my heart goes out to you if you're a Virginia tech fan, I just had this thought, by the way, I want to, uh, this is very random, but this is the 1997 final poll. Okay. Number one, Michigan, number two, Nebraska, number three, Florida state, number five, UCLA, and number seven, Tennessee. That was changed. Yeah. A lot has changed in 23 seasons. Um, that has nothing to do with Virginia tech. I just looked it up because I thought they were really good in 97. I think 98 is when they kind of broke through and, and really cracked the polls. And obviously 99 was a great year. Anyway, uh, Virginia tech, it's not, not, it's not the late nineties anymore. So maybe expectations are out of whack and maybe it's not really Fuente. It's just, you're expecting too much, but if you have any expectations for Virginia tech, you're going to be disappointed. And I'm sure you have been disappointed for four, three plus seasons, almost four full years. Yeah, I, I don't know why we got off on that tangent since they're not playing this week, but I, I did figure it was worth mentioning uh, on the podcast. All right, so Oklahoma at West Virginia. Oklahoma's going to be a pretty big favorite there, but I would say that's a game you, you want to maybe tune in a little bit for just to see West Virginia because they've done a heck of a job. Five and three, they are playing very good defense. They gave up six points to TCU. They gave up 17 to Texas. They gave up 10 to Kansas State. Um, Neil Brown's doing a heck of a job there. And, you know, if if this was a more robust coaching carousel than it's going to be, I think you would start to hear a lot of people talk about Neil Brown as a guy that they're targeting, uh, as well as the names you're hearing right now, the Matt Campbells and uh, whoever else. I mean, Neil Brown, you know, for a Tennessee, for for a Michigan, you know, Neil Brown's a guy that I think, I think in a normal year, you'd really hear a lot about. Yeah, he's done a good job. Really good job. I I don't think they'll win one of their last two, but if they split OU, Iowa State to end the regular season, I think a lot of folks will put them in their preseason top 25. You know, team number 24, team number 25 going into 2021 because they have made a lot of growth in the last year. Battle of unbeatens on Saturday, USC, Colorado. Colorado, we've not talked about them at all on the podcast, I don't think. I, I... could not have imagined they would be 2-0 and sitting here with Carl Durrell as head coach, 
and they've got, you know, two legit wins. I mean, UCLA and Stanford, not, you know, not the best competition, but uh, I just, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that they're two and zero. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised. I don't think a lot of people thought Carl Durrell was going to be uh, hit it off like gangbusters from the start. So I'm impressed. Good job by him. And a lot of us were wrong so far. It's only been two games, but still. Uh, always a good Thanksgiving weekend game, A&M and LSU. I, I don't know about LSU's ability to compete in this game, but I, I do know this. Whatever their ceiling is, Orgeron will, will hype them up and get them ready for this one because they seem to – obviously the Alabama game is a big game for them. But just for whatever reason, this A&M thing, it's a, it's a real – intense matchup every single year. Yeah, it is interesting, right? Because you don't ever really create any until recently sort of conference tie between the two, but they've played a bunch of times going back throughout history. Um, I think a and I don't think they win 50 to seven like LSU did last year, but um, A&M needs to take care of business. I, I think they do. I'm not impressed with LSU. I know they beat Arkansas um, and that's a quality win because Arkansas is rebounded under Pittman, but LSU does not would not worry me if I was AM. and is a better team. It's just it's it's plainly obvious you look at them that AM is a better team than LSU right now. All right, let's talk about the Iron Bowl. I think Alabama is going to be about a three touchdown favorite, something like that. I, I don't think it's even a question who wins this game. I think it's what's the line and is Alabama going to cover right? <laughs> no, I mean look, yeah. look. no, for sure. <laughs> There's a lot of times we go to the Iron Bowl and you can maybe talk yourself into Auburn, but I, I just don't see it this year. I just – I think Alabama is just way too complete of a team, and, and I think they're going to – Saban sometimes will dial it down a little bit against Auburn and play more conservatively. I don't think that's the mode here. I think it's going to be pedal to the metal on offense. Yeah, I, I, I was just trying to think of uh, how many – like what Auburn would need to be, be in turnover margin to win this game. Um, plus three, at least plus three to beat Alabama. And if Alabama will score 50 points, I mean, Alabama scores 50 points on a pretty regular basis. It's, it's a, it's a strong possibility. Um, it's crazy things have happened. I think you were there when a guy returned to kick a long way. I was, um, I was, so, uh, I was in the mosh pit at, at the uh, center of the Jordan Hare stadium, Jordan Hare. And, uh, and, and one of the more memorable nights of my career, but I, I, uh, for one thing, we don't do mosh pits anymore. We don't do rushing the field unless you're Notre Dame. Right. And um, um, It's going to take something like that, right? Yeah. We're talking like, you know, lightning striking and, you know, something crazy happening. I, I, I just can't see it. I think Alabama rolls. Alabama rolls. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the reality is that that's clearly the the biggest game of the week. It's, it's, it's the one that honestly, not a lot of superstar matchups, this week, but uh, let's finish talking about one game that uh, will get our attention for all the wrong reasons. Penn state, Michigan does Penn state who is now and five get off to Schneid against the Wolverines. Yeah, I think they win. You, you, I, think they got Penn state. I, I think Michigan's going to win. Yeah. It's, it, who, who wins though? Like well, no, no, does anybody, no. Does anybody win? Um, I, Penn State, I don't know why. I just have a hunch that Penn State's going to win. 
but yeah, I, it, it's the safer pick would be Michigan. I don't know what the line is. I think Michigan will be touchdown, maybe, you know, I don't know, five, four and a half, but they'll be favored by more than a field goal. But Michigan, um, Michigan doesn't do it for me. I mean, neither does Penn State, but uh, you're well, like asking, I don't know. Nobody wins. Nobody wins. The thing is, who's going to be more enthused to be there? Who's going to be more hyped up to play the game? And, and the one thing, you know, I think the one thing you can maybe point to as, as just a smidgen of an advantage for, for Michigan is their offense in the second half of the Rutgers game, uh, Maybe with Cade McNamara coming in, I think he's got to be the starter. I don't think you can go back to Joe Milton. And I, I think maybe there's just this seed planted that, oh, man, we Cade McNamara, he's, he's going to be the guy. And then Michigan goes into that game with a little bit more excitement and a little bit of hope because he threw four touchdowns against Rutgers. That's the only thing I can think of. Whereas Penn State, I mean, I, I just think it's total despair. Yeah, no, you're right. I think McNamara gives a little bit of a of a, something to be happy about. Um, it came against Rutgers, though, so uh, you know all disclaimers necessary. Right, this game is it's like being asked if you want to get kicked in the groin or punched in the face. Like I'll take getting punched in the face. I prefer to have neither. So I I don't really want to watch this game. I don't you will. want to. I'm, I'm I will. I will absolutely. I will. It's the noon game for me. One hundred percent. And uh, as far as Thursday, are you uh, having turkey? What's what's the plan? Yeah, we're going to have uh, turkey. We're going to have uh, soup, I believe. There's going to be like a turkey soup start with some barley in it. I don't know if that's traditional or not. This is an untraditional Thanksgiving. It's going to be a, it's going to be very small. It won't be the full family. So, what, what's your plan? Yeah, I mean, small family, keep it very uh, tight, but. Uh, I mean, we'll have a lot of food. We'll have some turkey. Yeah. But uh, certainly, um, you know, for everybody, it's been a tough year. It's been a trying time. And uh, certainly, you know, if you have an opportunity to give to those less fortunate at this uh, time of need for so many people, would highly recommend uh, taking that opportunity uh, and certainly cherish – life and loved ones and the opportunity to watch college football next weekend. So hope everybody is able to enjoy the holiday season and come back next week. We'll have another podcast. We'll have more college football to talk about. So for Paul Meyerberg, for Dan Walken, thanks to Kenny Amatololo for joining us this week on the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast presented by USA Today Sports. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Hi, I'm Nick, XS Brand Ambassador. Coffee is the original energy drink because caffeine stimulates the central nervous system to reduce fatigue and boost energy. Athletes use coffee to enhance athletic performance. Research has shown that coffee can improve endurance. I use Excess Cafe Mocha because the formula is real coffee, real milk, and real cacao. The energy boost I get is from 80 milligrams of natural caffeine, just like coffee. Plus, there are more B vitamins and less sugar than other ready-to-drink coffees on the market. 
athletes will always reach for a coffee before a workout. But smart athletes will reach for an excess cafe mocha to get that extra boost of B vitamins. For more information, go to amway.com and search cafe mocha. Excess energy drinks and sports nutrition exclusively from Amway.